Well, good morning, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Saturday, August 5th, 2023, and we are continuing our limited series on preparedness with our uh, good friend and uh, geopolitical expert, Randy. He's actually an expert in a lot of uh, things, uh, uh, but I found out he's not an expert in cornhole. But that's okay. We won't talk about how badly I beat him at cornhole. But anyway, uh, today we're going to be talking about how to prepare for an economic collapse. And this is our third installment in this limited series. Not sure how many more we've got to cover, but we want to just give you some practical tips and, and hints and advice on how to prepare. We talked in our first installment a couple of weeks ago about how to prepare for an EMP or a cyber attack. And then we talked last week about how to prepare for civil unrest and today we want to focus on an economic uh, collapse. Uh, before we bring Randy on, just a quick reminder as we close out the week, uh, lots of great resources out there for you on our podcast uh, app. Uh, you can go to any podcast provider, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Podbean, uh, Pandora, you name it. We're on all of them. Just search for NBW Ministries or Not By Works Ministries, I think is what you search for. But anyway, you'll find uh, all of our uh, podcasts uh, day after day. This week, uh, we started out Monday with episode four of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions. Then we had David Fiorazzo on to talk about the scandal on of the cross on Tuesday. And Tuesday night, we also had Prophecy Night. I encourage you to check that one out. Uh, Wednesday was our standing world events update with Randy. Another great one, as always. Thursday, I had Leo Homan on to talk about Russia's role in the coming New World Order. Yesterday, we had Lucas Doremus on to talk about parables of the kingdom as we continue that uh, study. But today, it's how to prepare for an economic collapse. And uh, Randy, welcome back to the program. Thanks for helping us out with some of these practical matters. Well, I'm glad to be here, and this should uh, this should be interesting for everybody. Yeah, you know, what I really enjoy about this, and, and folks, uh, you know, we, we get new listeners uh, regularly, so I guess I should mention Randy and I have known each other for a few years now. We were introduced by a mutual friend, and uh, we've just uh, discovered we have a lot in common, and we, we, we kind of go in seasons where we will interact a lot outside of the podcast, grab lunch, go to, you know, things together, hang out with our friends, but uh, we're in a season now because of my schedule and yours that... We haven't gotten to do as much of that. And these podcasts, to me, to be selfish, are just like sitting down across the lunch table with you and and, and having a, a, you know, a conversation at, you know, Walter's Pizza, like we so often do. And, uh, you know, sometimes I even forget we're recording them. Uh, and uh, but I know it's a benefit to our listeners, to the body of Christ and to everyone who who comes up, comes across these podcasts. But I just want to thank you for your friendship and thank you for taking time to to answer questions and, and dialogue uh, with us. And so a lot of the material we've been talking about on this Saturday series is a little bit overlapping because there's some basic principles of preparedness that apply no matter what the scenario. But today we want to focus specifically on how to prepare for an economic collapse. So take it away. All right. Oh, the podcast that we're doing on Saturdays, as far as uh, different things to prepare for, I would look at the economy being one of the items that may be the first to go. We have the BRICS meeting with the BRICS nations here in a few weeks. Uh, everybody's got a theory on what's going to happen. None of them good. Um, we know that the United States is 32 
$1.7 trillion in debt, and it seems to be going up a trillion every six weeks. So the dollar is gone. There's no doubt in my mind it's going to be how fast and what is going to lead to the collapse. Is it going to be an EMP? Is it going to be a war? Is it going to be civil unrest? Or is it going to be a collapse of the banking system? Now, everybody's guess is as good as mine on that one. But there are a few things we need to remember. I do believe, and pretty much everybody agrees with me on this, cash will be king for 30 days after the collapse takes place. Let's face it, they're not going to have everything in place. They're not going to be able to do much otherwise. The electricity goes down. The cash you have in your hands, in your safe, or whatever is what you're going to be able to live on. So, you know, we have rules of thumb how much cash a person should keep on hand. I had a financial advisor tell me one time, you should have enough cash on hand for six months worth of bills. Now, that would be rent. That would be food. That would be car payments. That would be everything. And I would hazard to say that probably 10% of the American people could come up with that much money to just leave, lay around for an emergency. So the first scenario, let's say the economy collapses because of the debt, because of world happenings, whatever. Understand, if the economy goes down, if the cash you have on hand is what you're going to live with. Now, they probably have some kind of an idea of what they want to bring into effect after that. We have Fed now. They have CBDCs they're thinking about, universal basic income. Nobody has a clue what they're going to do. A lot of theories, no facts. So we, we got to go from there. So if we're going to keep cash on hand, um. I don't think most people are ever going to come up with six months worth of bills in cash. So what would be realistic? I think realistically, you need somewhere in cash between $1,000 and $5,000. This is in different denominations. This would be uh, some coinage, some dollar bills, hundreds, whatever you can afford. Now, where do you put it? Well, some people put it under the mattress, some people put it in a can, some people, they leave it laying around their house. Now, I like the idea of a safe. And because it's protected from fire, it's protected from vermin, it's protected from thieves, whatever. But if you're going to keep cash on hand, you don't want anybody to know about it, except maybe you and your spouse, your kids, whatever. Because when you keep it on hand, you tell anybody else, you become a target. Because for the 90% of the population that probably couldn't come up with $1,000, you're going to be the one that they're going to look to for a loan or to take or whatever. All right. So if you go ahead. Yeah, let me let me just weigh in on some of the pragmatics of where to where to keep it. Uh, you covered it pretty well. Um, I would discourage people from doing what uh, instinctively a lot of people uh, do, especially the older generation, they'll start putting cash in in books and in you know scattered throughout the home in places behind pictures uh, on the wall or under the couch cushions and furniture, those kinds of things. Because the problem with that is over time, you forget where you've put it. And it's hard to keep up with where it all is. And so I understand the rationale there is you don't want to put it all in one spot because then they, you can't steal it all. But if you have a good safe, 
they're not going to be able to steal it. So, you know, just invest in a safe and keep your cash and other valuables in a in a nice safe. And even it doesn't have to necessarily be a true fire safe, which those can be very expensive, especially to get one large enough to hold lots of cash. Um, it can be a gun safe, which is fire resistant and uh, in most cases is going to do just fine. Um, so, uh, you know, I would encourage that instead of, uh, you know, your mattress or your underwear drawer or, you know, something like that. Just, you know, just put it, uh, you know, put it in a safe place uh, like a uh, like a safe. Now, the other thing in terms of denominations, uh, you know, obviously the bigger the denomination, the less space it takes up, but also those larger denominations could be a little bit more difficult to use in that 30-day period. And, and I like that you pointed out that it's a 30-day period. I've, I've never been that specific, but I've always said that immediately after an economic collapse, there's going to be a short period of time where cash is going to be needed, uh, but then it'll probably no longer be needed once they roll out their long-term plan. Uh, so, you know, you want to have small bills so that you can barter more effectively, um, but it's okay to have a few large bills. But again, uh, if you're going to go with the six-month uh, guideline of uh, cash, that could be a lot of cash. And so you need to find a place to store it. It's not a terrible idea to keep uh, you know, a little bit in other places, but don't spread it out so much that you forget where it is uh, because something could happen to you. And then, you know, People that, you know, your children or your grandchildren or whatever, uh, they're not going to know where it is. Uh, and lastly, I'll, I'll reiterate what you said about keeping things uh, discreet. Loose lips sink ships. And so you don't want to uh, be talking freely about A, that you have cash and B, certainly where it is. Yeah. You know, the thing is cash, <clears throat> you have a tendency to spend it if you have it on hand. So you got to make sure it's an amount you don't need. You can put it away and forget you've got it there. But I'm with you, JB. Um, I would probably forget half of them if I put it in different places. And some Christmas or something or when I'm cleaning the house, I'd come through and go, oh, look what I've got there. Do me absolutely no good. Now, one of our viewers brought this up, and this is a good point. Many of the safes have an electronic dial. If we have an EMP, that electronic dial is worthless. So have the backup key and remember where you put it. Because I got to tell you what, not only will you forget your cash, you'll forget your key too. Hmm. So you usually get two of them, but have them on hand, know how to take the dial off. And, you know, I'm glad he brought that up the other day because I'm going, I had thought about that before. But yeah, the MP, it's electronic with microcircuitry. It's going to get taken out just like everything else. Then you've got a 2,000 pound piece of iron you can't get into because not only can the thieves not get in there, but you can't either. So if you've ever gone through the challenge of getting hold of a safe company and getting the combination or another key, uh, you'll never do it again because it is a long drawn out process and it is tough. Now, some people say, well, how about I keep it in a safe deposit box? Well, the economy goes down. What makes you think the bank is going to be open? Remember, during COVID, you couldn't get into a bank for quite a while. Many of them, the lobby was closed. You had no access to that money. So while it's a, it's a nice idea, I wouldn't put the money I had to rely on 
in a safety deposit box. And I sure wouldn't give it to a friend or family for safekeeping. So cash, have it on hand, protect it. Don't tell anybody what you're doing with it. Now, what else could we use in an economic breakdown? How about metals, precious metals? We have gold, we have silver, we have platinum. There's all kinds of things. Um, gold and silver basically will last forever. You don't want to subject them to really stout acids or some of that kind of stuff. You got to be careful because they're fairly soft, but you can bury them underground. You can put them in your safe. As long as you can remember where they're at, you have access to them. The value will go up and down with the markets, but at least you have a tangible asset there that you can use. Now, again, if you go out and buy a kilo of gold, um, it doesn't make any sense because then you're going to have to shave off whatever you need. You're going to have to weigh it and then get the person that you're dealing with to agree to it. If you get the standard coinage, the um, dollars, the um, grams, however you want to do it, know what the value is, it's much easier to handle and much easier for people to transact. Now, be very careful of the types you get uh, as far as the uh, Canadian money, South African money, the um, United States coinage, those are all good. There are some from some other countries that are not well known. Uh, you might have a lot more trouble bartering with that. And understand that there are a lot of fake metals being or trying to be transacted right now. I talked to one of the, our bullion dealers. He said he gets at least one fake transaction a week. So if you're going to be dealing with bars, you're going to de be dealing with coins. If you don't know the person, you may have to test for it to see if it's actually gold or silver or whatever metal. Acquaint yourself how to do that. There are little kits available. You can purchase them if you like. But I figure if I've got the actual coin from the mint in the little plastic case in which they come from, I pretty much trust that. And like I said, you can put it wherever you want to. It's not like paper currency. It's not going to deteriorate. Um, should be right where you put it as long as you didn't tell somebody else. Yeah. And to, to that point, Randy, uh, uh, the the highest premiums. And so so for folks that have never purchased uh, metals, you you pay the spot price, uh, which is you go changes minute by minute throughout the day. But you call a uh, a precious metal dealer, and we've got some that we recommend um, that are Christian, and you lock in your price, and then every different type of coin or precious metal, could be a bar, like you said, has a, a premium. That's just the way the market is played. And, you know, the the highest premium for silver is always silver eagles, and that can be anywhere from 8 to $10 per coin. Uh, which is per ounce because those are one ounce coins. Um, the next highest is ninety what's called ninety percent coins, which are you know actual quarters, dimes, half dollars pre nineteen sixty five, so nineteen sixty four and earlier, because at that time uh, those particular coins in the United States were made of ninety percent pure silver, so. Uh, those have more value in the value of their metal than they do the face value. And the premium on those is uh, 
you know, $5 basically per, uh, per ounce. And so, uh, but the cheapest is what's just called silver rounds or silver bars are even cheaper. But as Randy very wisely pointed out, in a crisis situation, in an economic collapse where, you know, all mayhem is breaking loose and so forth, if you hand someone a just a, a round piece of silver that's got some insignia on it, if they're not familiar with the precious metals market, they're not going to know necessarily that that's actual silver. <clears throat> and you may have a hard time convincing them. Same thing with a silver bar. Uh, so that's where this 90% coins uh, come into play because uh, you can you know give someone a quarter and they're going to know, oh yeah, this is real a quarter. And I think most people know that the older coins were made out of silver. But at least uh, you know you've got a chance there. Of course, the ideal thing would be new, newly minted silver eagles because those are clearly uh, you know actual have cash value or, or uh, face value. Everybody knows what a silver dollar is. That's why it's called a silver dollar. Uh, they're still making them, uh, but those are going to be a little more expensive on the front end to stock up on. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of a quick rundown on uh, on silver and you know making sure that you're purchasing it. Not primarily as an investment, because if it's just an investment, then yeah, get the cheapest you can, which would be bars that they have the cheapest markup. Uh, but if you're doing it as a preparedness tool and to be able to barter with, then you want to think think a little more about the actual type of coin that you have. Exactly. And you need to know there are going to be different terms for different types of silver. Like JB just pointed out with these smaller coins, they may call them dirty silver. They may call them junk silver. Now, if you don't know what they're talking about, it's wide open for you to lose a fortune if you can't figure it out. Uh, you're not going to have a blow by blow what gold and silver is worth at the time. Uh, it's always going to be worth something. But, you know, you have to use some common sense. If I need a loaf of bread, I'm not going to give somebody one ounce of gold. That that isn't going to happen. You know, if their car comes with that, um, you know, something like that, maybe. So you, you're going to have to be careful. And most people, I, I'm going to be honest, me included, until a year and a half ago, I was clueless how they measure this stuff, the valuation of this stuff. So start looking into it now, because if cash is not king, if we're going to be talking about stuff to barter with. There are going to be thousands of items. And I'm going to relate to you from my experience, some of the things that you wouldn't think about that were very, very important and things that really didn't matter. Now, people like to talk about art and jewelry when it comes to bartering and for an inflation or for a hedge against, you know, the economy collapsing. Now, artwork, as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty, but it does me no good. I mean, I'm not going to have the Mona Lisa here and try to trade for groceries. So you would really have to know what you're talking about. Your buyer or seller would have to be just as informed. Otherwise, it's going to be worthless. Jewelry. Now, jewelry probably would have some instances where it wouldn't be a bad idea. Jewelry, people like to wear it. Um, they like to exhibit it, and they always have something just like the gold and silver. But understand, it's tougher to evaluate. It's tougher to tell what carat it is. Uh, is it 10 carat, 14, 20, 
four, 18, whatever, however it's measured. So you got to be careful with that. So I would stick with the metals and the cash. But after that, we get into the um, non-durable goods, what I call them. We get into food, water, um, guns, ammo, you know, all the kind of stuff like that. But there are points you need to understand when you're dealing with these and how it's going to work. I mean, let's face it, economic collapse, there probably is no law and order. So you got to be very careful what you're going to be doing with this stuff. And I want to reiterate storage of any item you're going to use for an economical disaster, you need to store it correctly. It should be in a dry place, in a cool place, not subject to fire, not subject to bugs, vermin, etc. So in other words, if you put this in a plastic bag in your backyard, if you're not going to go back for a year, don't expect it to necessarily be in the same condition it was. Uh, so, so think ahead. Think about it. How would I store this? What would I do with it? Now, bartering is probably going to be the main way, the best way to survive after the cash is gone. So you're going to need a good supply of different things. Some people will respond to, I want alcohol. Some will need food. Some will need water. But what I have found handling catastrophe storms and stuff like this, this is kind of how it went. The first things that you need are the food and the water. Those, those are absolute necessities. The money and all that kind of stuff, yeah, maybe. But one of the things that I found after Katrina and after 9-11, there were people that were in need of things, but you'll never guess what the main item was they wanted. They wanted socks and underwear. Hmm. The fire department of New York, I called them. I said, what do you need? I said, well, we've got money and everything, but we need socks because we can't get them now. You know, you're wearing them in boots and stuff. You get them wet. They're starting to cause problems. Gloves, socks, and underwear. And if you stop and think about it, you maybe are not going to be able to do any wash. So what are you going to wear? I mean, let's face it, you know, if your feet are miserable, they're cold, uh, they're wet, that changes your disposition. So have things like that on hand. Have some extra ones. They're fairly cheap. Get them in different sizes. But I will promise you, if Katrina and 9-11 were any indication of what's coming, that's going to be something people are looking for. Another thing, batteries. Batteries will be bought out. They'll be hard to find. But you can't use a flashlight without them. You can't use a lot of small appliances without them. And let's face it, where are you going to find them? They're going to be gone. There were no batteries at Katrina, New York City. There were no supplies coming in. You couldn't find them. So double A, triple A, C, D, and 9 volt. Good idea to have those on hand because now I notice they're advertising. They will last for 10 years have a supply because somebody comes in and you're going to negotiate for food or water. Well, I have these batteries. I would try to negotiate something small like that rather than the silver and the gold. Let's face it. I can approximate a value much easier and I'm not going to give away my life savings just to get the little items. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I let mean, me let me add in a few more here, and and I know you probably had some more too that you were going to mention. But items that are very helpful in bartering, and that I think everybody should have on hand. Um, first of all, batteries. I can't emphasize that enough, and a lot of them. I mean, yeah. buy them by the truckload because uh, even after the date, and 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 like you said, these days some of them are going ten years. But even after the date, they have they have some power. They may not last more than a day, but they'll give you some power on the spot. Uh, so uh, definitely batteries. And by the way, our preparedness guide, which is readily available on our website, just click on the resources tab on the left page, left of the home page there. And it says right there, not by worst preparedness guide. Uh, you can download it, click it. It'll download it as a PDF on your phone or computer. But um, these are, you know, these are some of the things that are listed from there that you can uh, potentially barter with any kind of useful supply that could come in handy if you know there's an economic collapse and you can't get to a you know home depot or a walmart or something so things like uh knives you know i buy anytime i see at a garage sale or whatever i was at one just the other day that guy used to sell these cheap knives uh, pocket knives and he had a whole tub full of them and they were marked one to five dollars each you know every time i see that i buy 10 or 15 of them i have a whole supply of knives because that's something that you can barter with um rope twine wire tarps stock up on you know tarps they can be used for a variety of reasons and be a nice thing if you've got extra and someone says hey i'm you know you you have something you need you can go to them and say hey they might not have thought about tarps here's a unopened tarp that you can trade with nails screws tacks uh, plastic sheeting, buy the big rolls of plastic sheeting. You can't have too much of that. Flashlights. I, I treat those like pocket knives. I have a whole tub full of unopened flashlights of all sizes. Um, shovels, hose, scissors, buckets, pliers, wire cutters, extra duffel bags, um, <clears throat> all kinds of tools like screwdrivers and and so forth, both kinds, the, the, the flathead, the slotted, and the, the Phillips. Duct tape. Oh, duct tape is almost worth as much as gold in a situation like this. You know, buy it by the box load and other kinds of tape, packing tape, work gloves, zip ties. You ought to have a huge supply of zip ties on hand. And as Randy mentioned earlier, a lot of these things are things you, you use in everyday life, but keep your preparedness stash separate. Don't dip into your preparedness stash because you start doing that. First thing you know, you don't keep up with what you've used up or what you have less of. Then a crisis happens. You go to get it and you go, oh, yeah, I forgot I used that for a project I did the other day. You know, so, you know, just put them in storage. Don't open them. Um, toe straps, tie downs, blankets and sheets. You can't have too much of that. Um, there are lots, excuse me, there are lots of other things, too. But I just, you know, light bulbs. By the way, uh, yesterday it became illegal to purchase regular incandescent light bulbs. You know, that's been back and forth since the Bush, the W. Bush administration um, uh, first passed that law and then Obama enforced it and then Trump reversed it. And now Biden's enforced it again. So you can still use them if you have them. Uh, and if you're like us, you stocked up back years ago. Um, I mean, I think we have a, enough light bulbs in our preparedness stash to get us through the millennial kingdom. If we need them, that's how many we have. But uh, anyway, uh, you can still use them. You just can't buy them. You will not be able to buy incandescent light bulbs, at least according to what I read on Fox News yesterday. Um, 
so another quick so and there are more I more things listed that you might not have thought about all of which can be used for bartering but one other quick thing before I throw it back to you Randy in terms of where to store things like cash and other bartering items one thing to keep in mind that we talked about in a previous installment of this preparedness series is you might have to bug out and so some people have suggested and I think it's a wise idea if you have a place that that you have access to that you either own or you know the owners or it's in the family, if you have a bug out property somewhere that's sort of a secondary property in the woods or mountains or somewhere that you are planning to use as your bug out place in the event you have to flee danger in your in your homestead, um, you can create a, a an underground cache uh, where you put a lot of this stuff, your coins and maybe some cash and some other supplies. Obviously, it needs to be in a waterproof, climate-proof container. It needs to be dug in such a way that it can be buried with no visible sign that something's buried there. You need to make a note, uh, preferably mentally, and, and maybe tell someone else in your family so that in case you lose your mind, they'll know where it is, where you have a, a marker, some tree or creek or some physical marker that's not likely to go away to help you remember where it is, because that can be helpful in the event you do have to bug out. It means you have to take less stuff. So if you've got the the means and the property and, and the finances to sort of double up, you can create a strategic uh, cache of goods secretly hidden on a property somewhere uh, and then, you know, another set at your homestead in, you know, case you end up staying there. Yes, those are great suggestions. And I want to reiterate the memory thing, because we're all going, well, we're not going to have any trouble remembering where stuff is at. Well, you've never been in a situation where you have to bug out or where all of a sudden you don't have any money. Your bank account is froze or empty. So you've got to start thinking outside the box now. Another thing to think of, you know, medications. Do you have your medications? We've provided the listeners several times with places you can get your medications for up to a year. Uh, you can get emergency medications, but don't forget the over-the-counter stuff. Your ibuprofen, Tylenol, aspirin, bug spray, all of this gauze pads, because you're going to need it sooner or later. And let's face it, when you've got 100 people outside your house that haven't prepared at all, and they know you have something, they're going to expect you to share or they're going to take one of the two. And I don't believe anybody's probably ever, or most people have never experienced the desperation of people when things get tough. Um, they're, they're not equipped to cope with this kind of stuff. They are not going to be thinking rationally. And the first thing that's going to come to their mind is anger, and it's going to be frustration, and things happen. But, you know, it's just common sense, like the tools that JB mentioned, you know, have blankets for when it gets cold. They don't do you any good in the summer. But in the winter, if you don't have heat, you're going to want all the blankets you can get. Fuel, the little propane tanks you can get, have an extra gasoline, something like that. Let's face it, if your neighbors draw together, you help each other, you have your own little community, you might be able to survive. If yeah. you're out in the boondocks, you're going to have to survive on your own. Yeah. So uh, let me piggyback on that. Again, this is all taken straight from our 12-page preparedness guide, which is just a helpful, helpful categorization of different things. But I have a section on there called power. 
And uh, you're exactly right. I, I list six five-gallon cans of gasoline. Uh, these are helpful in a, in a situation like, especially an economic collapse, like we're talking about, because you might not be able to run to the gas station. So depending on how many cars you have, uh, we figured six five-gallon cans of gas gives us 30 gallons. I can put 10 gallons of gas in three different cars. And with our large family and extended family that live with us, we can, you know, we can get down the road a ways with 10 gallons of gas in each car. Plus, you know, they may, some of them may already be full. It's a good idea never to let your car get below half a tank anyway, just because that way, worst case scenario, you've got half a tank plus whatever you've stored up. Remember, gasoline only has roughly a six-month to 12-month uh, shelf life. So, Every six months or so, you want to take those six five-gallon cans, pour it into your car, and refill them with fresh gasoline. You don't want them sitting there for three years, uh, and then you go to use them, and it's bad gas, and then that makes your problem worse. Uh, extension cords under the power section. You have a bunch of extension cords and power strips. Um you can get little solar generators. We won't talk about that. I think we've talked about that previously. Uh, electrical plug adapters, charging cables for your electronics. Of course, all of this presupposes that there has not been some kind of a massive EMP. Um, but uh, yeah, you mentioned, you know, medical stuff. The two places that we've recommended and that you and I have each purchased things from are Jace Medical, J-A-S-E, uh, and uh, Duration Health duration health both of those are excellent resources check them out you can make an online appointment and then you can stock up on prescription drugs but yeah tylenol ibuprofen aspirin um you know a, a good medical first aid kit and randy i know this is something you have expertise in with your emt background uh, but you need to have probably multiple first aid kits as well as supplementing with you know some other extra band-aids and bug spray and you know toothbrushes and toothpaste and uh you know cotton balls and q-tips and soap and shampoo you know we i traveled uh for many many years extensively with our ministry and with other uh ministry jobs that i've had and uh so we i saved every little piece you know unopened bottle of shampoo from the hotels and the soap bars and we have huge tubs of that uh, now. Now, of course, a lot of hotels now are going to the uh, dispenser approach where they have these dispensers in the shower and you can't really rip that off the wall and take it. Uh, but uh, in the, the ones that still use the little, uh, you know, small bottles of shampoo and conditioner and hand lotion and uh, bars of soap and grab those things. Those would be very helpful uh, in an emergency Um and uh, see, there was one other thing. Oh, this is an interesting one that some people might not think about in terms of their preparedness stash, but extra eyeglasses. You know, I have terrible eyesight. I have since I've been a kid. I mean, I'm almost legally blind without my glasses. And of course, I have bad hearing as well. So you should make sure you have plenty of batteries for your hearing aids. I wear hearing aids. Uh, so but extra glasses, you know, you know, you get a new pair of glasses. A lot of people do every year or two uh, with their different, you know, eyeglass plan that they might have. Those old ones, if your prescription hasn't changed that much, and even if it's changed a lot, it'll be better than nothing. So keep a few of those on hand uh, to have because in a crisis, if your glasses break, you're not going to be able to make an appointment at your local optometrist and get them fixed. You're going to need something long term. So uh, yeah, just a few more good good ideas there on the list. Yeah, and the thing is, if you need it, 
be redundant, have more than one. Yeah. Um, one thing as a firefighter, I want to um, bring and discuss here for a second. A lot of people could use a metal outbuilding properly grounded as a Faraday unit. Now, that's great. But when you're storing gasoline, propane, anything that's flammable, do not let it touch the sides of the building. Otherwise, when it's hit by lightning or EMP or whatever, you get the 4th of July with it and all of your prepping just went down the hole. If you're going to store gasoline, you're going to store gasoline in your home, you make sure you have it vented and it never gets too hot because a gallon of gasoline can start a fire you cannot believe. So not, a, not only is it important to get the right stuff, storage up until the moment it's needed is going to be just as important. Like food, do you have refrigerated or frozen food that's good till the electricity goes out? If you buy MREs, the uh, freeze-dried or whatever, look at the expiration date. Some of the stuff that's being sold is within a year or two of the expedition or expiration date. It's not going to do you very good for very long. So check that because they get rid of their old stuff first, then comes the new. Let, so, let, me, let me go back to the gasoline real quick, just for my own education here. Um, you know, storing the, the gallons of gas uh, in those, you know, the ga approved gasoline containers if you store them in the open air out in a like a carport or something that's covered but not enclosed, that's that's okay, right? Well, it's vented, yeah. and it would be much better than in your garage. Now, one thing I'm going to say, I, some insurance policies basically have a clause that says that if you increase the hazard, there is no coverage for the loss that's incurred. So before you go storing a lot of flammables, such as gasoline and stuff in your garage, in your house, whatever, you might want to see if that clause is in your policy, or you might want to call the insurance company and say, okay, look, I got three cars. I want 10 gallons of gas. I want to put them in the garage. It's vented. It's kept cooler and see if they have a problem with that. Because I can tell you, I have worked insurance claims. They increased the hazard and they had no coverage. Basically, yeah, they, I mean, they couldn't handle. That's very wise, wise advice there. I mean, I would assume that especially these days for people that live out on property and they have one or two ATVs, they have a riding lawnmower, they might even have a big tractor, they have other like a snowblower, they have a lot of gas powered equipment that it's not uncommon to have a handful of gas cans, uh, right. you know, one gas can is not going to service all of those useful tools. So I think as long as you don't overdo it, if you start storing hundreds of gallons of gas, which I do not recommend, uh, then, uh, you know, then you, you know, you're going to be, be in trouble, but yeah, definitely want to, want to check that out. Yeah. It's just, you know, <clears throat> we don't live like we used to live back in the good old days, as I call them in the forties, fifties, sixties, where when you were growing up, your parents taught you this stuff, or you saw what they did. You could see it by example. Most of the people now have no clue on basic common sense for a lot of this stuff. That's why we have these programs. So you got to think about it. Think about it before the emergency arises. The economy, the economical problems could be the economy collapsing. It could be from an EMP, could be from a war. Every di different situation 
could have the same outcome, but what you're able to do about it may be different. So think about it. And another thing, when it comes to the economical stuff, if there are bills that you can't advance pay, I would suggest doing that. You know, like your rent, your utilities, any of that kind of stuff. You know, if you have credit card debt, they're going to want it paid back. But the thing is, it's unsecured. Come get my credit card. I don't care. But if you own a house, you own a car or something, try to get ahead because once you get behind, the chances are you may not catch up. And when the WEF says you're not going to own anything and you're going to like it, they know something's coming yeah. and they have plans. So we have to try and circumvent whatever those plans are just by using the brain God gave us. Yeah. And sometimes uh, I remember one time years ago, we were between houses while we were house hunting and we were uh, renting and we wanted to rent uh, for a year. And I made a deal with the guy that said, you know, and, and said, hey, if I pay you lump sum up front, will you give me a discount? And it saved us several thousand dollars. Uh, he was ready to have an infusion of cash. And we wanted, we knew we were going to be there for a year. And so we we struck a deal. Uh, so that's something to think about, too, is you know, like you said, pay in advance, pay ahead, you know, if you can uh, uh, and, uh, and, and and work that out. So. Uh, let me just summarize, and then I'll let you kind of uh, close us out with the last word here. Uh, main thing we've talked about in terms of preparedness for an economic collapse is having the necessary items on hand with which you can both live and barter, because in an economic collapse, it's all rules of normalcy are gone. You're not going to be able to just shop or order on Amazon or you know get you know get things the way you become accustomed to getting them. So, like Randy said, what you have on hand is likely what you're going to live with. Now, nobody can prepare for everything, so you're going to need to purchase things. In a situation like this, that means bartering with neighbors and other community members. So you want to have items on hand to barter with, like cash, uh, uh, gold, silver, precious metals, other supply items like we've mentioned and, and like the ones we list on our preparedness guide. And uh, again, that's available at notbyworks.org under the resources tab. Um, but, uh, you know, think ahead about the types of things you use every day, like Randy said, and what if you couldn't replenish those? Uh, what What's your plan? So, Randy, your, your thoughts as we wrap up? Well, <clears throat> a lot of people think this is an impossible task. How can we do this? Well, I want to point you to the Hutterites, to the Amish and those people. They live without electricity. They live without automobiles. So don't tell me we can't do it. We need to toughen up. We need to smarten up. And we need to start taking responsibility for ourselves and our family and our friends. And if you don't, well, then see if the Amish will let you into their community. Once you're there for a few months, you'll understand why it would have been a better idea for you to do this yourself. <laughs> I can promise you that because I have relatives that are Amish and I don't want that lifestyle. So prepare and <laughs> you'll be better off. Amen. Well, this was a helpful uh, a helpful discussion. I hope you guys found it helpful as well. Um, you know, I know there's much more we could have covered uh, and, uh, you know, we well, there always is, but this kind of gets you started, gets you thinking about it. Um, I want to encourage folks that, you know, you are smarter than you think, you know. Uh, you have been convinced and dumbed down by our culture. Um and become dependent upon 
uh, the government and and society to provide things for you. But uh, begin thinking now in terms of what if I had to be self-sufficient? Uh, and you'll be surprised at how how much you you know begin to think. Just start get out a piece of paper and start jotting it down, or on your computer on a on an Evernote or something like that, and just start thinking about these things, and then tick them off one at a time. You can't you know you know solve your preparedness plan overnight, uh, but you can certainly start making a dent in it. And uh, our preparedness guide will help you think through some of those issues. Um, but Randy, thanks so much for being with us today. Look forward to next Saturday's. Uh, installment. I think we're going to next Saturday talk about natural disasters. Is that right? Yes. So we'll look forward to how to prepare for a natural disaster. <clears throat> and uh, until then, uh, a couple quick reminders, go back to notbyworks.org, click on our podcast link, and it'll show you all of the recent podcasts from the last week. I won't reiterate those. Uh, I want to remind you that tomorrow I'll be in the pulpit at Plum Creek Chapel as we continue our discussion of Nehemiah and we talk about living in the land of the easily influenced and uh, how to have discernment and not be so easily led astray. Uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, you can live stream the 10 o'clock service by going to notbyworks.org and clicking on the live stream button. Or if you're in the Denver metro area, come join us at Plum Creek Chapel in uh, Sedalia. But until then, God bless you, everyone. Have a great weekend, and uh, we wish you the best.